0: Um, we're going to continue looking at this this series. We've been talking about what is God. I, I see in, in our uh, in our culture in our day uh, the importance of when we assemble who is the God of Scripture. You know, this is um, something that should be immensely important. I, I I am sure that we've covered things that um, many of you have walked with the Lord for many years have known, and, and maybe you've grown in that. And I pray that you've grown in. Uh, an understanding and uh, I realize that we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we've covered a lot of scripture passages and I feel like um, some of these are more like in seminary level classes, right? We're just going through this and yet I thank you for your diligence and coming and just desiring to learn and I pray it's been a wonderful prophet to you. Um, this morning as we continue to look at this question, what is God? We've come to the last attribute of our answer You know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I put this in your notes, question four asks this question, what is God? And the answer to it, which is by no means exhaustive, but it's a very good working answer for us to understand that when we sing uh, any hymn or modern hymn or chorus, we can attach to it what we mean when we say this is who God is. And the answer is wonderful. I encourage you to memorize that God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and today his truth. Um, more, I, I almost feel like, of course, all of this is vital and important, but I feel like in our day, that, that statement, truth, is very much, ever more so. I don't think that's even fair to say as I think about it, almost vitally important uh, it's important for us to understand what is truth. I, I would imagine this morning that you've maybe have had conversations with others or maybe even a conversation with yourself where you've thought about what is that question, what is truth? Uh, can we believe the truth? What is, is truth simply something that I affirm, therefore, is true, or is it true outside of myself? Well, if you've been coming here for any length of time, you know where I'm going to land on this. Truth is objective, first and foremost, objective the gospel has to be understood objectively before it becomes subjectively because these are facts we're dealing with. And God has demonstrated and given to us, right, his word that we can know him. But it's a question that we need to understand. I would Imagine that we've, we've felt this way, that, that what is right, what is true, what are these things? And maybe you've come to a conversation with someone who disagrees with you and you realize that not both of us can't be right. Reminds me of a story of two gentlemen having this same, this kind of conversation and getting into an argument, and they, they pleaded their case before a Sufi judge, and, and one man begins to, to go before this judge, and he says, you know, this is the problem, here it is, and he pours out his heart, and he makes his argument very, very articulate, and when he's concluded, the judge responds and says, that's right, you're right, you're correct. And the other gentleman says, whoa, wait a minute. You haven't even heard my side. So he begins, right? Same passion and emphasis makes his argument on why the other guy is wrong and why he is right. When he gets done and he's, he's panting because he was so passionate about it, the judge responds the same way. You're right. Actually, you're absolutely correct. Well, the bailiff, listening to both men, steps in and says, Uh, judge both these men can't be right you're gonna have to make a decision they just simply can't both be right to which the judge again says you're right you're absolutely (laughs) correct (laughs) you know in our day and a we feel this don't we everyone has their own truth we even hear that language in our culture that's your truth i'm going to speak my truth We've diluted any statements of objective truth to just complete your rush. You're a crazy guy if you think there's absolute truth. So we live in a, po- a postmodern culture, and this is why something like this becomes tremendous. Because we realize if God's word is not true in any slightest hint, none of it is true. Because the Lord makes profound claims. The truth. So as we look at this attribute, let me offer a brief prayer as we begin to dig into this. Father, again, we thank you that we can come before you and call upon your great name as we come before you in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, as we look at this most important attribute, of course, they're all important, but as we see this working its, its way out in our own thinking, And as our culture thinks, I pray that your spirit would instruct us and teach us today. That we would grow in confidence and resolve and faith in who you are and the truth of your word. Let us understand. Opening, Lord, our ears and our eyes, I pray. And as always, get me out of the way that every life here be fixed upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in your notes, I put the question for you, and again, I'll say I encourage you, commit it to memory. And When we sing these songs about God's grace and uh, about Calvary and how Christ is our anchor, we can attach to it that he's just not an anchor for today. He is an infinite anchor. He's an unchangeable anchor, right? We can understand all these elements. We know that his justice, his wisdom, his holiness, his power is infinite, unchanging, right? It is eternal, There's never a moment where he changes, and we take that to heart. I know that, and I've said this a few times, all those who are in Christ Jesus, God has told us he will love us infinitely so, eternally so, unchangeably so. He will love you this way forever. All those not in Christ, he has told us in his word, I will pour out my wrath upon you infinitely so, eternally so, unchangeably so. God is not going to change in that. That's what the Bible teaches us. So it becomes very important what we think about God's word. What we think about truth. I know today in this postmodern culture that we live in, there are congregations, and I have had a conversation with a few who have firsthand given me testimony of this, that they have said that the congregation dictates what is true and not true of God's word. At that moment now, the people are playing the part of God right? We will tell you, God, what is true of your word and what is not true based on the fact of most of us think it's true. I don't know about you, but I know my own thinking. And occasionally, just occasionally, sometimes, not often, I get things wrong. We get things wrong a lot, don't we? And we see this thinking in our culture, right? It's upside down. We think we are above, and unfortunately this is true of God's church, we are above scripture. right? This is the postmodern mind. We are the rational mind. We are above all these things, and, and we only believe in science until we don't like science anymore because it tells me my gender, right? It doesn't fit the narrative. But what's interesting is this is not a new question. What is truth? Many of you have been in church many times, you've read the Bible, you may have come across this very question when Pilate asked it of Jesus. Can imagine Pilate staring in the eyes of Christ and asking this question and marveling that someone would actually think there is objective truth. I think when Pilate asked this question, what is truth? I wonder if there was some, some resentment in him. Maybe some sarcasm. You ever had a conversation where someone you're saying there's objective truth, and there's a little sarcasm in their question to you? See, this question reveals when Pilate asks, it reveals his worldview. Pilate lived in a world very similar to today, very postmodern. You could say, yeah, he, he had these thinking. He lived in a world where there was no absolute truth. Hence, when Jesus comes and he he is trying him and he can find no fault in him other than what? He claims truth? And this is exactly what he did. And Pilate is staring, right, into the face of truth. He's staring into the eyes of, of Christ himself and he questions it. What is truth? It's right in front of you. So I wonder if there was some sarcasm. I wonder if there was a little bit of anger or tone Right? Do you really think there is? See, today, in this postmodern world, it kind of simply says, if there is a truth, it's not a capital T. Right? As in the truth, there is the truth. We believe this. No, it's a lowercase t. If there's a truth, it's relative to the individual. It's like humanism. Humanism says, if there's a God, right? he's irrelevant. We have no business with him. We don't even waste our time with him. Because we believe in science until science tells us when life begins, then we disagree. Science tells me if I'm a male or female, then I disagree. That's the, the, the rationale of our culture. So if this is true, if there's no objective truth, you realize there's no objective truth. If God's word is not true, because he makes profound claims to its truth, no one can be saved. No one definitely Can be sanctified. No one can be redeemed. No one can be strengthened. You realize the hopelessness that comes from this. Do you realize today people like to say, Well, I don't know about certain elements of truth, but I like Jesus. Well, Jesus told us what he thought of truth. He said, To sanctify them, Lord, in your truth. Your word is true. So if we reject God's truth, we have to reject Christ. Do you see the thinking? Jesus had full conviction. The word is true. See, we have the word today. John tells us, John 8, 31 through 32, that that we can be set free, right? So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, there's our Bible reference, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth the truth will make you free. Without God's word being true, is there any hope of redemption? There is not. So it matters big time what we think about the Bible and its truth. I put a rhetorical question in my notes. So, how valuable is truth for us today? They are not words to express the value of truth. The Psalms, the Psalm 19:10, Got it correct? It says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. That needs to be our resolve today. So let's look at this. Here's your outline. Your first point is simply affirming, as we've done through this series, affirming what does the Bible say? Well, if God is true, here it is. Point number one, what are we saying when we say God is true? It's his truth. Well, we've got to realize that God's truthfulness is defined in ways that conforms all facts and reality. In a, in a word, God's truth is reality. It is how things actually are. Truth is the self-disclosure, excuse me, of God himself, because God says it is like this, therefore it is like this. This is what his word says. Many theologians use the word veracity to encompass all the things in which God talks about his truth. You know, the words such as truth, or truthfulness, or even faithfulness of God. How does God in himself be true? How does God always accurate? How does God express that to you and me through his word? And they use this word veracity. It contains all of this. All that God is, all that God says, all that God acts, all of these things are right and they are true. So when God is speaking of himself, all the words about himself that he is the infinite, eternal, and changeable, that he's the immutable God, and that he's ever-present in his omnipresence, that he's all-powerful, that he has wisdom, and that he will be just, and he's merciful and gracious, and all these things that we've covered through this series, you can believe that is true about him. He wants you to know who he is. So anything that God says about his character is, anything he says about creation is true, You realize in in the created order, this is a struggle. Did God make the earth in six days? Well, that's what the Bible says. And we go, well, I don't know about that. Pastor, I have some ideas. Well, I'm going to stand with Jesus and Paul and David and Moses because they believe that. And if you reject that, you have to reject them because at that point, they're incorrect. Right? So it matters what we think. So we come and we say, God is true comprehensively. All that he is and all that is character, right? We've said this with every attribute. God cannot become more true, otherwise he's not God. He cannot become less true, otherwise he ceases to be God. He is infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably true. Now, just so you know, I'm not making this up. I have a lot of scripture passages. I'm going to read through them, and I'm going to read through them quickly. If you'd like my sermon notes, let me know. I'll email them to you, and you can have all these for you. You can reread them. Speaking of God the Father, the psalmist says in Psalm 31, 5, "O Lord God of truth, proclamation. Isaiah 65.16, Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. See, it as an adjective. It's describing him. Again in Jeremiah 10.10, 10, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Speaking of the second person of the training of Jesus, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That was John 1.14. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John 14, 17. Again in John, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is eternal life that you may know, that we may know you, excuse me, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17, 3. 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not See him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. John 14, 17. Again, if the if, excuse me, it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. First John 5, 6. Speaking of the Bible, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling, handling the word of truth. Again, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. And it can go on and on. We see throughout scripture that it presents God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three as true. They are the truth. Comprehensively, his word, his actions, from creation, right, to redemption, to the consummation of the age, God is true. So that's what we are saying. This is what we are affirming. Right in uh, this, uh, this doctrine, right in this attribute that God is true. So, what does that mean? Here's some characteristics of God's truthfulness, the second point in your, uh, in your notes. And I have uh, just a subcategory here that says, What we are to know about God's truthfulness. And under this, I have real quickly just six sub sub points, right? The first one is God's truthfulness is divine, it is divine. Right? All truth is God's truth. It's it's not what people speculate it to be. It's not determined by public opinion. The culture doesn't dictate what is true. A congregation does not dictate what is true. It's not determined by human tradition. Right? We have to come and say this is what it is, and we begin with this truth, and then we deduce and look at and make it work its way into our lives. We don't go the other way around. God has divinely given us his truth. He is the source, an author of truth. What does that mean for us? It means that when the Bible says this is sin, God says this is sin, then this is sin. It means the same with judgment. If God said he's going to judge, he's going to judge. It means the same with salvation, Those in Christ, those who are redeemed, those are saved eternally. It means he will save them eternally. It means heaven and hell are what the Lord proclaims them to be. Regardless of what progressive Christianity might tell you today, that right now this is what hell is. It's what means living on earth. It's not what the Bible teaches hell is. There's a place where the worm never dies. It's full of God's wrath and his vengeance. Eternally so. This is why the gospel must be preached. His word is truth. It is divine. Second thing is God's truth is absolute. It's absolute and we've touched on this already. It means it's completely objective, right? It, it it's Uh, has absolutes, and without that, we realize that thinking uh, quickly slides into irrationality. We can look upon our culture, and we can see things. When objective truth is gone, then truth becomes relative. Well, it's going to become relative to the point where it's pointless. We live in a society today where everything is true, and at the same time, nothing is. God says, well, my truth is absolute. Everything contrary to my word, therefore, is, right, a lie, We can't go around and saying, well, that's good for you. That's what you believe. But my belief system is a little bit different. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, friends this morning, if your belief system is not in line with scripture, I'm going to say you've anchored yourself to a line of false hope. Because God says, this is my truth. He will come and judge, but he has provided a way of salvation. And it's the only way. Jesus is not telling us a lie when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. It's his way, and he's provided it for us. Today, it's common to hold opposing views together. This is the postmodern mind where we can hold together with complete and sincere conviction things that completely contradict themselves. I would encourage you and say, if that's not in line with scripture, reject it, repent of it, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see it's divine, it's absolute. It's also singular. You notice that when we read some of those passages, it wasn't just truth, it was the truth. The scripture puts a definite article attached to it. Right? He's not talking about different truths in the ways of, well, this is my, my understanding of the truth, so therefore this is what it is. No, the scripture speaks of the truth. There is one truth. It's not a collection of ideologies. It's not borrowing from other religions and philosophies. It doesn't take from those things. No, it's founded solely and singularly in God's word. It is from God. It never contradicts, and it's always consistent. It's singular. I love this quote from Steve Lawson. He says, speaking of the truth, it presents one origin for the universe, one problem of the human race, one way of salvation, one way of holiness, one standard for the family, one plan for human history, one consummation of the age. Great quote. There is one truth. It is God's way. We see it's divine, it's absolute, it's singular. We also realize that it is objective. And here is what I mean by this is that truth is propositional. God has given us words. He didn't give us a book full of of pictures, did he? There's a bunch of pictures in there and we can interpret that a lot of different ways. I don't know if you've ever been to an art gallery and come across some things that just move you and things you go, I don't know what this artist was thinking. I've seen some of those. Maybe I'm just a little bit shallow, but it's not like that. The word of God is not to be treated that way. There are nouns and verbs, right? And adjectives and definite articles. There are ways in which we can parse these things out and understand sentence grammatically and we can understand this is what it is in fact saying. It's a historical grammatical approach, right? We understand scripture. We can come at this. Now the Holy Spirit may apply that a difference every single one of us, but we know this is what the scripture teaches. It is objective. It is God's truth. It never speaks out of both sides of its mouth. It never changes. It doesn't change to suit the crowd or suit the situation or to make things easier for you. It's always true, and this is what we need it to be. So it's divine, it's absolute, it's singular, it's objective. It's also, again, unchangeable. We know that God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. So his word, his truth is infinite, eternal, unchangeable. So this is confident. The same truth for Moses is truth for us. The same it was for David and Paul is true for us. It's it's true yesterday. It's true today. It'll be true tomorrow. Right will always be right. Wrong will always be wrong. We don't wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? These sins now can be justified. No. God doesn't waver in these things. He calls us to holiness so here's the thinking, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, and Jesus said, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8, then truth is forever, will not be modified. Paul is under the same truth you and I are under. Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. See, the world may change. Look upon the changes of our world and the things that are happening. Kingdoms may rise, they may fall, but God's truth remains. I know at times we may scratch our heads and say, Lord, where are you? What is going on? We see the injustice and we continue to cry for justice. We rest in the fact this is his world. His truth remains. Therefore, it will always be Will always be relevant for today. It will always address the issues that you and I have. It's the same problem that Paul had. It's the same problem that Moses, the same problem David had, same problem Peter had, all our heroes of the faith. God has the same answer. The same Savior who redeemed them is the same Savior who redeems us. It's unchangeable. And number 6 under this first subpoint is god's truthfulness is authoritative it's full of imperative verbs the commands of scripture god has every right right every right to push upon us so maybe that's not the right word but to lead us with commands truth speaks with a sovereign voice truth is commanding it's directional he's leading us jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free John 8:32. It will lead us, it will direct us. See the word of God deals with our deepest issues. It cuts down deep. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 4:12 says, "For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the divisions of the soul, the spirit, both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart." It has authority. We can't fool it. It it, it redeems us. It it convicts us. It challenges us. It sanctifies us. It moves us forward in our sanctification. It grows us and conforms us. It transforms us. This is what it is. This is what we affirm. This is the characteristic of God's truth. The second sub-point is where, where do we receive? How do we get God's truthfulness? Well, we know for us it is the 66 books of the Bible. And we realize that as Scripture teaches us, that we realize that we find God's truth in all His verbal utterances. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. We realize, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, that when God spoke to Adam in the garden, it was truth. See, so when God spoke to them, he said, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat from it, you will surely die. I'll ask you, friends, did Adam die? Yeah, he ate the fruit. God's word is true. He was our covenant representative. Today we struggle with that very thing. So we see throughout scripture as God spoke to Noah and Abraham and David and Moses and all the prophets that he is is true. His utterances are true. The gospel, all the things written by the power of the Holy Spirit through the different writers, it is true. And for us, the second point is we find it right for us. We have it in 66 books. We can look back and read today what Job was struggling with and see the end of the story as it's unfolding in Job's life. 2 Timothy 3:26, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It never becomes obsolete. It's never wrong. It is true. It is certain. This is what we have. God reveals it to us. There's one other element under this that you must be aware of: you know, where do we receive God's truthfulness, his utterances, as the scripture was written? Number three, on judgment day, when God speaks, it will be true. Christ will declare the truth about every human being when he judges everyone according to their works. When he speaks on that day, it will be true. Revelation 19, 11 through 13, and I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a, with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God of God see on that day we will all stand before him and everything the works, our sins will be exposed and we will either claim Christ or we will attempt to stand in our own righteousness whatever God says on that day will be true his word is true so what does this mean? How do we apply some of this for our lives today? I have just a few of them here. Just as God is, is honest in all his ways, as he is true in all his ways, well, definitely every follower of Jesus Christ is to be honest and true. God's moral law written on our hearts, right, is, is we should not lie. It should mourn us, right, when we see these things. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 37, but let your statement be yes, yes, and no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. That should lead us. Because God is true, we should be true. Let her be always be honest in the presentation of the gospel. I realize today that there are some things that maybe we want to kind of skip around and not say. It's not a popular th- uh, thing to say that if someone is in sin and they don't repent, guess what, you're heading to hell. That's not very comforting. But there must be an element of wrath. People who don't uh, understand a need for a savior is because they don't understand, right, the wrath that come of those outside of Christ. We have to be honest. It doesn't mean we don't do it without love. Absolutely, we do it without love. We do it, excuse me, with love. Listen to Paul. He says, But uh, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in sight of God. You know, it's popular today that pastors have a hesitancy, and even, even followers of Christ would have a hesitancy to speak the gospel, but this is what needs to be shared. Charles Spurgeon in his day had the same issue, the same struggle, even speaking and writing to pastors who would put the gospel as a lion and would cage it up and they would uh, put themselves in front of it to defend it, to protect it. His response was simply let it out. Let the lion out. Don't be afraid of what The gospel says, don't be ashamed of what the gospel says, for it is the power of God. for Every soul that would believe. See, spend time reading his word. If it is true, get it in your life. If you're not reading it every day, then it's time to assess your schedule. This needs to be immensely important for every soul. It should become important to you. God has given us his word that we would know him. So find time. You know, if it's, I always like to say, I know I hear it all the time and I myself say it all the time, right? We are, I know you're tired. I know you have a busy schedule, but what's important? And in your life, this is true. What's important will always get done. The word of God needs to become very important to you. It's true to every philosophy of the age, right? What you spend your money on shows what's important to you. It demonstrates itself in your life. Well, if God has given us his word, get it in you. Find a time, if it's recording it or putting it in the car, playing it, whatever it might be, find a time to get the word of God in your life. Listen to John in John uh, 4, 6, 1 John 4, 6. He says, we are from God and he who knows God listens to us. He's talking about the apostle's doctrine. He's talking about the gospel. We listen to it, we get it in us. He says, he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Is it important to you? Are you following? Then get the word of God in you and the follow-up to that letter D. Then spend some time letting the word of God examine you. That's always fun, isn't it? But it's important. It's so important. The other day, a few of us in the morning got to visit... At church and doing some work with the men's ministry, and I was just immensely encouraged to see men serious about the Bible, but what stood out was their leader. And the pastor took time to simply share with the men the struggle in his own life. It's time of confession. It's time of seeing it in him. And the of the few people, I was a few that he had to go and make right. It may seem like a minor thing, but we need to let the word of God hit. We need to let it speak. We don't need to walk away and go, well, I don't accept that truth. Don't put your, ever put yourself above the Bible. But when it comes to the things of Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, when it speaks to the things that God hates, And one of those is a lying tongue. And if we see it in us, repent. Go make it right with your brothers and sisters. Do what is right by the Lord. Let the word of God examine you. It's true. You can trust it. It's not going to lead you away, it's going to lead you closer to Christ. It's going to lead you into a a fuller, a more meaningful commitment. It's going to lead you into holiness you might, with tears in your face, worship ever more so, with more confidence, more conviction that God has dealt with my sins. Not in a, in a way that seems so far removed, but personal and intimate. That when we worship, we see his eyes looking at me, and we receive what Christ has done, because you realize he knows your name. He created you. He knows the very thoughts, just like our scripture reading. God knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows exactly what you need, and he's given it to us in his word. Get it open. Get it in you. Start letting it speak to you. What is important will always get done. The word of God needs to become important. It is truth. It's his truth. and He desires that you would know him through his truth. It demands our attention. We can't pretend any longer that it didn't speak. We can't allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and simply go do something else until that conviction goes away. No, it's time to humble ourselves. Lord, draw me into that commitment. Help me be a man of God. Help me be a woman of God. Hear your truth. Help me to follow Christ. And when I fail, when I sin, Let me have a heart that repents. Let me go make it right. Here in a moment, we're just gonna close with a song titled One True God. And the verse in the chorus, I just wanna read it to you that your thoughts would be here. As it says, there's one voice in the dark. A song that lights up the stars. There's one breath that gives life. There's one sovereign in power who speaks with thunder and fire. There's one Lord. There is one king. There is no other that can compare to you. There's only one way, there's one truth. The chorus says, you are the one alone in greatness. The one who never changes. We affirm that. Jesus, you are the one who rose in power. You're the one who reigns forever. Jesus, the one true God. This is what we affirm. This is what we believe. There's one truth, one Savior, one way. There's one heaven, there's one hell. Be sure you know Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. The truth of your word. We've said that word many times this morning, truth your truthfulness, your faithfulness to it, the veracity, Lord, of who you are and how you demonstrate yourself. We are thankful that in a world that uh, everything seems true, we as followers of Jesus Christ know that there is one truth. There is one way. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for every believer here who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that you would just imprint this upon us. What we have in you, Lord, infinitely, eternally, unchangeably so, you are the one that you've dealt with our sins. Now, Lord, call us into the sanctification to work out our salvation with fear and reverence and trembling before you, because you are the one who is at work in us. Your word is true, Lord. Let us have that conviction and let it become important to us, not just to read it, but to let it examine us, that we would grow... Lord, in our holiness. We would grow in our pursuit. We would grow in our faithfulness. Help us. Lord, often we feel we struggle and we fail. Lord, give us by your spirit what to do to repent, to turn, or to follow. Help every believer, every soul. I pray for those this morning who are not sure, Lord, if they know you, that today would be a day of salvation. They would realize only in Christ, only his way, only through the atoning sacrifice, the substitution, a substitutionary atonement of Christ. Lord, lead us to believe. Let us realize how much we need Christ. So Lord, minister, us, minister to us today. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We can't say that enough. Thank you for your truth. Let it be, as the psalmist says over and over in Psalm 119, let us delight ourselves in your law and in your statutes and your precepts and your word. Let it be in us. Let it be challenging us. Let it be convicting us. Let it be growing us because it is true. You are true. Thank you, Lord. Blessed soul here today, I pray, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.